to the Smut and Spice podcast, where we're living vicariously through the female main characters in reverse harems, dark romances, paranormal romances, and bully romances. We're your hosts, Sam and Ashley. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing the Plated Prisoner series by Raven Kennedy. This episode will detail the first three books, Guild, Glint, and Gleam. We've opted to include a trigger warning for this episode. Uh, it does contain non-consensual acts, sex work, drug use, and assault. Be warned, this episode may contain spoilers and explicit content that is inappropriate for those under 18. This show is not for children. Okay, so I want to start off by just saying how much I love Raven Kennedy. I Every single book that I've read from Raven Kennedy has just been... yes I love it so much she is like a one click author for me at this point I think that the only other one that I've read is Boyd and that was her and was is it Coralie June yeah I think so but I loved that um and I know that you've read have you read the Cupidity series right or was it just Sarah that read it no I read the whole thing too yeah so I need to get on that, I guess. But I mean, I loved Void and I loved this series. So and plus, I just looked up her Goodreads page and she's like freaking gorgeous, too, because of course she is. <laughs> Some people just have it all. She is just her writing style just speaks to me. Obviously, I know that not every author is for everyone, but like. Some of the TikToks that come across my For You page that are, like, going off about how much they dislike to the series, I'm just like, how? I don't, like, I know. Not everything is for everyone. I just have to keep repeating that to myself. But, like, I don't really understand, like, at the core of the series, if you've read all three books, how you can walk away and be like, I hated that. I think that, do you think it's because... it's a lot of people who aren't necessarily familiar with like fantasy and the way that fantasy's written because I feel like both of us have a pretty big background in reading like fantasy series and I feel like this reads just like your typical like fantasy type of book and I realize that's not for everyone. It's like descriptive and there's like slight action and there's like some romance. I almost feel like it's it's one of two kinds of people who dislike this. It's either what you're describing of people who like went into it for the romance and it was too much like exposition and world building on the fantasy side. Or it's the opposite of that where it's people who like exclusively read like high fantasy series and they're coming at this and they don't think it's like up to par in terms of the fantasy series that they and usually read. I fucking hate people who are like fantasy fucking purists. I'm in some Facebook groups and they are some of the worst fucking people. Like if you say like, oh, like I loved like A Court of Thorns and Roses, people will literally like tear you apart. They're like, there are- if you don't read like Brandon Sanderson and Robin Hobb, you can get <laughs> fucked. And I'm like, fuck you. Let people enjoy things. But if you that... come, come for Avatar, <laughs> I have a problem. <laughs> I, I'm just not on board with fantasy snobs in general. Like, people are allowed to like the things that they like in literature. Let's, let's leave people alone. And I think that who was I having a conversation with? It might have been Colette, where we were talking about um, 
from Blood and Ash and how uh, I really want the threesome to happen. But apparently, like, people were saying to JLA, like, if you do the threesome, I'm never reading any of your books ever again. Why? Jesus Christ! (laughs) Oh my god. I I want that threesome so bad. Like, if she just wrote it, it's like bonus content that you could buy if you wanted to read it. I would buy that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Okay, so let's jump into actual discussion of the book. Sorry, I, I immediately <laughs> got us off on a tangent. That's I'm really good, good at that. This, this shows how authentic we are here on the podcast. <laughs> and that not everything, like, we write an outline, but a lot of this we just fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> so the first book in the series is Guild. Um This whole series is set to be a King Midas retelling with a twist. It doesn't follow the, like, classic folktale of King Midas. There's a lot that's changed, and the world building around it is a lot more dense than what you would typically see around your standard retelling. Um, Speaking of world building, this takes place in the world, uh, how do you say it, Ash, Oria or Orea? I say Oria. Just like I would say Oreo, but with an A. Okay, let's stick with that. So there are um, six kingdoms within the world of Oreo. King Midas is in charge of the sixth kingdom. Which is so fitting because he loves the number six and six taps. He's obsessed with the number six because it's like the perfect number to him. Um, And our main character throughout the story is Oren. Um, Oren is entirely gold. She is seen as being Midas's favored. Um, you see throughout the first book that she's kept confined to a cage and she's only allowed to move around within the palace inside of her cage. Like they've expanded it so it takes up like an entire floor of the castle. And she just feels... Uh, The way that she's described later is like a bird in a cage. Yeah, and she has a little golden finch in her cage that she really identifies with in so many ways. Um, And, you know, kind of as a result of her, I guess, I mean, it is imprisonment, even though, like, she can sort of go wherever she wants within the cage. But she's just pretty much like an alcoholic. (laughs) She is. She's not dealing well with things right now. And she has a lot of conflicting feelings, which you would expect from someone who's in her position because she looks at Midas as the person who saved her from a life of child trafficking, basically, where she was being sold on the street. She was being raped repeatedly. She was dealing with the fact that she was homeless and was relying on other people to help her. And she looks at Midas as her savior. But then at the same time as looking at Midas as her savior, he's also her captor because he will not let her leave. He will not let her have any sort of freedom. So she's in between these two ways of looking at this where she is so grateful to him while at the same time feeling very trapped. And you see her start to push back a little bit. But every time she starts to push and ask for more freedom and ask for the ability to make her own choices, you start to really see 
how Midas has kept her in this cage for so long through manipulation. Yeah, and I mean, that's really Midas's whole game in terms of everything that he does. Um, you know, how he is, is king, how he is with Arryn, how he is in the past areas of his life, which we will discuss later. Um, and, you know, I wish that you could say that, you know, oh, well, well, there's a period in the book where, he, you know, he's not not that bad. But I mean, honestly, like from that first chapter, you're just oh, well from the like the first and second chapter, you're just like, wow, this guy is such a douche already. Mm-hmm. Like, so um, he has these what they're called is saddles and like basically it's a harem and it's men and it's women and one man yeah. and he like the opening scene is like him like fucking these women and he's just like very callous i hate the term saddle i feel like it's really degrading and i'm sure that there's like i don't know that some people are like oh well that sounds better than like harem or whatever but like i don't know i just i feel bad that it's re- i feel bad that people are referred to in that way but he's, like, having sex with these women, then, he, then he's pretty much just like, okay, leave. Like, I'm done. <laughs> like, it was just, I don't know. I didn't like it. I feel like he lacks any sort of humanity, in a way. Oh, absolutely. You see that throughout all three books. Whenever you, and you do get some chapters from Midas's perspective, um, especially once you get into books two and three. And really just from his perspective, you can see how cold and calculating he is and how he's always reaching for more power. Like everything that drives Midas is greed and power, which is actually a pretty good parallel with the original folktale. Because if you're familiar with the original folktale, it was the entire like moral of the folktale is that King Midas was driven by greed and greed was his downfall because everything he touched turned to gold and then that led to him dying. So we see that parallel here throughout this series of Midas's greed slowly leading to his own downfall. But in that same storyline, we see Orin coming to the realization that Midas is not the hero that she has brought him up to be in her mind. And while she's realizing this, she's really struggling because it's turning her worldview on its head. And throughout book one, she's really seeing herself still as a victim. And it's not really until book two and three where she starts to gain the confidence to feel like she can step out of that role of a victim and start like fighting for herself. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for most of us, we can identify with having been in a relationship where you just kind of have this um, dependence on a partner who's maybe not a good fit for you and maybe doesn't treat you right, but you're just kind of stuck. I mean, at least I'm, I've been in that position more, more, more than one time, but Mm -hmm. it's hard to, you know, think that you love someone and think that, you know, you're important to them and that, you know, you need them. Um, and then coming to that realization that it's a bad situation and you need to move away from it and move past it. And, you know, it's pretty likely that the love that you felt wasn't a real thing for them at all. So, I mean, I, I really identified with that part of this story and I feel like 
Midas could be a lot of people that I've known in my life. And, like, when it comes down to it, Oren is a victim of abuse. She's a victim of abuse from before she met Midas, but then she's also a victim of emotional abuse and manipulation at Midas's hands. So I feel like a lot of the criticism I've seen for Oren in particular when, like, looking at reviews for this series comes from a place of people not empathizing with her as a victim. Like, obviously, we love strong female main characters here, but the reality of life is that a lot of people find their strength after they've already been a victim. And we see throughout this series Oren beginning as a victim and then slowly building her strength throughout the later books. Yeah, and I loved that transformation that she goes through. It's honestly, like, it's so badass and extremely relatable. I I really do love Oren, and I know she can be annoying, like, especially towards the end of the first book and into the second book when it seems like she's still defending Midas and she doesn't want to let go of this image of him that she has in her brain. But, like, it's understandable. She she has built this idea in her head that who she is is because of Midas. And it's difficult to shift your entire worldview. Well, yeah. And, I mean, a big thing for us here on this podcast is the, like, we don't, like, victim, like, shame or, like, victim blame. And, <laughs> I mean, Arn has been through a lot. And I think that... Those are extremely normal responses to that kind of trauma. I mean, everyone for her her entire life has just taken and taken and taken from her. So, I mean, of course, she's going to be a little bit damaged and it's going to take her time to gain that confidence to move away from people who are toxic to her and stand up for herself. So the whole idea behind book one is that Midas, in his pursuit for power, is... Uh, dealing with the king of fifth kingdom king folk and he's making all of these underhanded plans he's doing a lot of scheming where he's tricking the king of fifth kingdom to attack fourth kingdom so that he can take out the king of fifth kingdom and start to consolidate power between fifth and sixth kingdom Uh, so he goes through with this plan but at one point he was bargaining with Oren's like body he was saying like if you do this for me you can spend a night with my gold touched favor and Oren is starting to come to that realization of oh he's willing to just do exactly what every man in my past has done which is use me for my body and that I think is her first real wake-up call of oh, Midas is just as bad as every other man I've come across. Yeah, and I mean, that was honestly, I had such a hard time with that, you know, when I was reading before I got to the end of the book, obviously, (laughs) um, that he would do that to her because it's obvious he does have, you know, some sort of feelings and attraction towards her. Um, And this was, I guess, before I believed that he was like such a such a horrible person. Um, but I mean, just like her fear over having to be with someone that she's so totally repulsed by because Falk just like, he like views her as a piece of meat and it's disgusting. Just like that, like gross old man that like, like eyes you all the time from across Mm -hmm. the room. Like, ugh, just, ugh. 
to feel to feel that kind of fear coming from her and to know that Midas like was going to put her in that situ- I mean he said that he was never actually like going to but I mean I don't know I would never trust him so one of the rules of like Oren's imprisonment is that no one can touch her except Midas because she's like the king's favored um, which we find and- out there's other reasons for this later on yes but it leaves her really lonely she like is craving human touch and compassion and decency and it leaves her open to even more of Midas's manipulations because he knows that he can just with like a simple touch or cuddling with her he can convince her to do the things that he wants her to do giving her that like sense of human um god the word just left companionship Thank you. The <laughs> sense of companionship that she's desperate for. Um, and one thing that I did want to discuss for this first book, we're also um, introduced to Digby. And oh, he... Digby. I know. So he is an older gentleman guard who's assigned Arin, and he's specifically been put with her because he's very trustworthy, Um, you know, a lot of the younger guys, I think Midas has a lot of apprehension because, I mean, Arn's not, you know, she is like a good looking woman. And like the fact that she's gold, it makes her very rare. And like there's some really gross stuff that people like say about her. And like anyway, um, but Digby is just, you know, a trustworthy guy. Um, and in her craving to have that companionship with someone, anyone, she always tries to get him to play drinking games with her. And I just think it's so cute. I mean, he always denies her, but the fact that she, like, tries and, like, he does have little secret tells that let her know that he does care for her. Um, But I I love his character, and I love that, you know, she cares so much for him. And that comes into play later in the other books. Digby's, like, really the only father figure that she has. And it's so, like, I love their relationship, but it's also, like, he still is at such... A distance from her and I know that it's painful for him and it's painful for her that they have to maintain that distance because you can see Digby like he knows Orin he knows how lonely she is he knows how isolated she is and he wants to help her but at the same time he knows that if he gets any closer to her that Midas will probably have him killed and if he doesn't have him killed then he would immediately remove him as Orin's personal guard and then Orin is back to square one so like he's maintaining that distance for both of them, but it, you can tell it's difficult for him. Yeah, and I mean, if something were to happen and she gets assigned the younger guard, like, they're gonna probably be, like, a gross douchebag, which, huh, fancy that. That does happen in the later books. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so Midas's scheming comes to fruition where he is able to trick King Falk into sending his men to attack Fourth Kingdom his men are immediately wiped out and Midas doesn't send any of his men like he told Falk that he would. And this whole situation ends with Falk dying in Sixth Kingdom. And with Falk's death, there is now this like void of leadership in Fifth Kingdom because the rule in Oria is you have to have magical powers in order for you to be a king or a queen. So Falk has a son, but his son's powers haven't, uh, awoken yet because he's not of age where that would have happened 
So there is this waiting period where they're waiting to see if his son can take over. So, so you Midas, know, Midas just being the good guy that he is. Uh-huh. He's like, uh, oh, let me just help. So Midas travels to Fifth Kingdom, very obviously using all of his scheming and conniving uh, intellect to start to use any sort of power that he has to take over fifth kingdom along with sixth kingdom. Um, he wants Orin to go with him, but he doesn't want her to travel with him because he thinks that that would leave her too open and vulnerable. So he takes like a pretend Orin that they like paint gold and take along with him. And Orin travels later with the rest of the saddles. I know Ashley hates that word. Uh, <laughs> it's the worst. And uh, like a whole contingent of men. And they all start traveling towards Fifth Kingdom, which is like this long and treacherous journey because Fifth Kingdom is like surrounded by ice and snow. It's a very cold and unforgiving place. Um, so on Orin's travels... She, of course, is still close to Digby. Digby's traveling with her. And she gets close to another guard named Sale, who is, like, this really great companion for her throughout the journey. He just sounds so adorable, too. Like, just so cute. We love Sale. (laughs) Uh, So, on their journey, they are taken over by the Red Raids, which are a group of snow pirates. Which I thought that this concept was so cool! Yeah, I agree. Um, Ashley will talk more about what the snow pirates actually look like and how they travel. But basically, (laughs) they kill pretty much all of their guards, and the guards they don't kill, they, like, take captive. And... They take all of the saddles and they start sending out letters to all of the surrounding people saying, hey, we have all of this stuff that belongs to King Midas. Who wants to start like bidding basically to buy these people and these items off of us? Because, you know, that's what pirates do. They steal stuff and then they sell it. Just so awful. Um, Do you want me to talk about like more about the pirates now? Yeah. Tell us Um, about the pirates. Okay, so the Red Raids, and I think that this is such a unique, cool concept. So when we say pirates, you automatically think like, oh, like, they are out on the water. But these are pirates that are out on the snow, but they still have pirate ships. But they're pulled by these giant, aggressive cat, like giant snow cats that have like, the, the paws are flaming paws, right? Am, I'm remembering this correctly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, Raven Kennedy, that is just some of the coolest shit I have ever heard of. Um, but yeah, the pirates are basically, like, your normal pirates. They're just crude, terrible, disgusting people um, that, like, you know, say really degrading shit to um, the other saddles and to Aaron, which, you know, I mean, she's like no stranger to hearing people speak about her in that way. Um, and our poor, our poor sale. Um, mm. This happens where 
so Digby goes with another party to like because there's this whole thing where there's like a potential avalanche but we learn that it's like not really an avalanche it's because of the red raids and um Digby just kind of is MIA and Arn is like wow he has to be dead and Sale is pretty much like do not touch Arn like is like defending her with his life and (sighs) the fucking pirates are just awful people and like he's like naked like are pretty much naked at some point yeah because they strip all of the armor off of them because the whole thing with midas is that everything in his kingdom is gold oh shit yeah i forgot it. so so all of the soldiers all of their armor is completely gold plated so of course the pirates are like i'm gonna take all this shit and sell it yeah so poor sale is like in the snow and he's like trying to like tell Oren like it's okay it's okay and they fucking kill him and I think that this is one of the most uh, depressing deaths that I've ever read in a book because like I and I told Sam this several times I had thought that, like, there's going to be some twist and he's going to come back and he's still going to be alive. Um, But unfortunately, that's not the case. And this is probably the angriest that I've ever been, like, at an author. But, like, God, Raven Kennedy, couldn't you just make it that he was still alive? (laughs) Couldn't there be some, like, (laughs) redemption for sale? Like, her other like digby wasn't even like truly her friend yet but like her one true friend you couldn't just let her have this it it just it seriously devastated me um so that's obviously really traumatic for her watching his death and um there's some other pretty traumatic scenes that happen you know in regards to this if you'd like to talk about those sam they realize pretty quickly that Orin was attached to Sale, and when Orin is not cooperating, they decide, like, in order to torture Orin, they, like, attach Sale's body to, like, the, what is it, the helm of the ship? I don't know the name of ship thing. <laughs> I don't know, um, but <laughs> I have a funny story about that one time. I'm gonna have to tell you it in person one day. Okay. <laughs> So they, like, attach his body to the ship so that it's, like, decaying and, like, hanging over the front of the ship and Orin well, like, has it's to look like, at it all the time. It's frozen solid, like, yes. from the snow, because I feel like that's an important fact for what else happens with this. So he's, like, frozen solid to the front of the ship and Orin sees this and she's like, no, I'm not letting this be a thing they're not going to do this to sales body and i don't think that we've talked yet about um Arin has these things that hang off of her back and she refers to them as her ribbons um oh yeah but they can help her you know they help her like she uses them to like braid her hair and like um tie her dresses and things of that nature um but i don't think that she realizes that you know if trained properly that they could be used for battle or to like perform tasks but basically she you know uses them and her full strength to like pull sail's body off of the front of the ship pull him onto the deck of the boat and it's really sad but she like throws him 
throws his frozen dead body off of the boat because he deserves more than that. Um, yeah, I completely forgot about all that. Yeah, and it's just like when it's someone that you really care about, and you know, everybody has their thoughts on death and like the treatment of a body, but like seeing someone you loved in that position, like, oh, the trauma, the things that she goes through in this series, it's just like it's so much. It is, and I feel like Orin has seen so much death throughout her life. And so much of it has been at the hands of people who are, like, manipulating her and using her. And I feel like Oren at this point is just so numb to it. Like, she, she's obviously, like, racked with guilt over Sale's death. She's internalizing all of this and thinks all of it's her fault. But she's also just at a point where she's like, I just want this to be over. Um, but the pirates, of course, make life continually hard for her and at one point her and another saddle are in the office of the captain of the pirates it's rissa yes rissa's the other saddle and like he's about to rape them and we find out that Oren has the ability to turn things gold and she in her panic with this whole situation turns the captain solid gold and then they have to work together to like shove him out the window <laughs> so and <it's... laughs> like while this is happening another big important thing has happened um i don't think that we've talked about it yet but the third king third okay <laughs> so fourth kingdom remember where uh, Midas had folk like send his soldiers, but then Midas didn't send his soldiers, like, and they like attacked them, so they've like kind of egged them on. Has this like notorious commander, and that would be Rip. <laughs> and he, I guess, had received word like about, you know, that they've like intercepted like this uh, convoy of Midas's and like what they have. So they're there, like, kind of, like, bargaining, and Rip sees Aaron, and that's, like, what starts this whole thing where he's like, no, like, I'm taking these saddles, and I'm taking the golden one with me, and then that's when the captain, like, takes them, like, down below deck, and is like, oh, I'm, like, I'm gonna get use of you, like, before mm-hmm. you go, and so, I mean, Rip is aware of her presence there, um, and he's, like, you know, his name is Rip because, like, of like ripping people's heads off of their bodies but we'll we'll get back to that at a later point about why that's so funny (laughs) um so he's like aware of it and they pretty much just make it like the captain like escaped off of the boat which i always thought that this part of the whole plan was just like not well thought out like no (laughs) like i don't know i just don't know how believable it would have been to the pirates that the captain just like called ass out of there but anyway, <laughs> they shove his golden body out of the porthole, I guess, is what you would say. <laughs> Which I don't even know how that, that... Anyway. The picture of it in my brain makes me laugh every time yeah. I think of like these two women shoving this solid gold man out of the side of the ship. But, I mean, this whole thing with Rip and 
King Rot's army is like kind of a blessing in disguise because I mean, like anything has to be better than the pirates, right, Sam? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> depends on how you look at it. Uh, so Rip and his contingent of men from Fourth Ooh, Kingdom's army. Look at you yeah, go. Using those big vocabulary words. Uh, they basically barter for Oren and the captured soldiers and the rest of the saddles and everything, and they pay the pirates and they take them all with them. And that's really how book one ends. It ends with Rip taking Oren and, like, very clearly letting her know that, like, he knows about her and what she's... He doesn't know everything, but he has an inkling of some of her secrets. And... Then we also get Midas's point of view at the end where he finds out that Fourth Kingdom has taken Orin. And you can see, like, how much that upsets him. And that leads us into our second book, which is Glint. Uh, hold on. There's just a couple things that I want to clarify, just in case we haven't made it clear. Go so Orin Ar turned the captain to gold. So it's obvious that... Midas has no powers. This is Auron that turns things gold, so he has no magic, so he technically has no claim to the throne. So Midas's actual wife, Melina, she doesn't have any magic either, but she married Midas because he has magic, so she could still keep her claim to the throne. So without Auron, Midas is pretty fucked. So it's super important to him that he gets her back. Because, like, if they're like, hey, show us your magic, or, like, if shit's not turning gold, like, then his jig is pretty much up. Yeah, um, exactly. And I don't know... Hold on, wait, I'm trying to think. The other thing with Rip is the first book where they have this conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. About, like... He knows what she is, and she knows what he is. It's either at the end of the first book or the beginning of the second. It definitely happens, like, as she's walking off the ship. Yeah. So, basically, they both know that something is different about the other. That they're, like, some sort of other. But now we can get started on book two. But I wanted to clarify that about Midas in case we didn't make that clear. Yeah, that really becomes clear at the end of book one is this idea that Midas has been using Orin, not just like using her body and selling her the way that we assumed that he was, but also because she is the one with power in that relationship and he has been pretending to have power the entire time. Yeah, like uh, they have this whole thing like worked out, this little like thing that they do, this like magic act pretty much. So... Oren is taken into uh, this contingent of Forth's army, and Forth uh, Kingdom is ruled by King Ravenger, also known as King Rot, because his ability is to rot everything around him. Um, and it has been said that his commander, Rip, ha was like blessed with magic by his king, and that's why he looks the way he does. So let's talk about the way Commander Rip looks. Commander Rip is gigantic. Uh, he's a really big guy. And he has these big black spikes coming out, like, all the way down his arms. 
and he just has this presence around him. The way Oren describes it is he has like this very dark and foreboding aura around him. And it's very clear that he has some magic and some capabilities to perform magic. And I love later, uh, I think, it, is it in two? But like, they make it clear that the spikes like, like don't come out of his ass too. <laughs> That's in three. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> I thought that that was in three. <laughs> I just loved that. I thought it was so funny. Oh my gosh. So Oren is like taken into this camp and she is separated from the rest of the saddles and she finds out that she's staying in the commander's tent with him. Um, Which I also loved. <laughs> love a good forced proximity moment. Um but it becomes clear from the beginning that she's not being treated the way that she expects to be treated, like as a prisoner. Um, immediately there is a healer who comes to her and she's being given privacy and space to like work things out. Um, she does like immediately try to get a message off to Midas with the messenger hawks and (laughs) the rip finds out like pretty quickly exactly what it is that she's doing, but he just kind of lets her do her thing. Like he is not worried or bothered at all by her trying to get like messages out or do anything like that it's very clear that he's confident that he has this whole situation in hand which i mean given his history as this like intimidating commander like of course he does he's got this like golden woman under control like we cool but it's like nice this is a really nice situation for Aaron because she can like kind of go around the camp a little bit more like she definitely has more freedom in the camp you know with her supposed enemies than she does when she's with Midas and that really starts to sink in when they start training her as well Uh, she starts to get really close with some of the commander's uh, inner circle members who include our characters like Lou, who is a woman. Something that uh, Oren comes to find out is that there are women and men that make up Fourth's army. Um, Osric, who is like the commander's second in command, and Judd. And all three of them are helping Oren. They're training her. They really take her under their wing. And she is coming to this realization that she feels more at home and more comfortable around Rip and all of his inner circle than she ever has when she's been with Midas. Yeah, and I mean, her having actual friends is such a big deal. And there's also one person who's not in the inner circle, but he is a member of the camp that I love. (laughs) And that's Keg, and he is like, (laughs) He is the, sh- the I, I don't know, the military chef, I, I guess, if that's what you would call it. He's, but like, he's one of the cooks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's the word I was looking for. He's one of the cooks. Um, But basically, he lets her, like, skip in front of the line and is always friendly with her. And I just, I loved him. I love that he, like, helped to make her, you know, kind of bring her out of her shell a little bit and, like, make her feel at home. So I thought that that was really nice. Just, like, Uh, one of those, like, nice side characters that you love. Oh, absolutely. He he absolutely has a great sense of humor, too, where everyone always yells at him about how awful his food is, and he's always yelling back at them. (laughs) And there's just this very obvious sense of camaraderie, like, around camp. And Orin notices, too, where it's, like, 
it doesn't seem like the military camp that she would expect from like this big feared commander. It's a place where everyone obviously like respects their commander and feels at home. I'm just laughing about Rip's name still. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, So, oh, go ahead, Ash. No, you're good. You go. Um, I was going to say, so we said that she had started training. Uh, One of the things that Rip insists that she trains is her ribbons. So like Ash said, she has these ribbons like hanging off of her back and we find out that they are a part of her body. They grew out of her back and she's able to use them to help her fight. She can sharpen them so they're as sharp as knives and she can use them because they have strength behind them so she can use them to like pull her up and she starts training with them so that she can use them to help her uh, defend herself. Yeah, and I I initially, like, when they're first introduced, had no idea that they would come into play that way, but it's honestly, like, such a cool concept. Because um, I was like, what the fuck are these ribbons for? <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's good that they have an actual purpose other than hair braiding. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say there. I had something going, but I lost it. I dropped my fidget, and now I'm, like, off track. Oh, no. Hold on, I'm picking it up. (laughs) All right, I got it. (laughs) So we do get several point of views in this book, including people who aren't with Oren, um, including Midas and Queen Melina. Melina is in the process of, like, trying to stage a coup in in Sixth Kingdom, um where she is trying to like ingratiate herself with the people and make it known that she's taking back over so she like paints over all the gold in the castle and is trying to make it known that she is the true queen of sixth kingdom while Midas is away but it's not really going to plan because nope. it just turns out that the people hate her and Midas equally <laughs> yep and I love that Geo is like trying to like help her, and Geo is her saddle, which I feel like he's not. He's like a good person, and I don't. He think is. That, we haven't really said anything about the rest of Midas's saddles, but they're all pretty fucking horrible to Aaron, and I hate them. I don't think I liked any of them. Yeah, no. I feel like you you only maybe somewhat like Rissa at some. Points, but I mean, she's really just another person that like wants to use Aaron. But I mean, Geo was at least like cool. Geo is like legitimately trying to help Melina, and Melina is just being an asshole to him the entire time. I know, and like, I feel like he like actually loved her, and she's just like a bitch. Anytime he says something that's correct, but she doesn't want to hear it, she's like, "Saddles aren't allowed to have opinions," and I'm like, "Bitch, he is right." <laughs> maybe stop and listen to him god and i think that's the thing this book this series there are so many awful fucking people in it (laughs) like i would think that that would be the only reason why you would say that you didn't like this series you know what i mean because there's just like a lot of characters that are just fucking rude which i guess that's how it is to hate (laughs) yeah yeah i mean there's so much to love but i mean there's like a lot of like shitty characters that you're like you're fucking awful I guess I would expect that from royalty, though. Like, when you're 
when you're surrounded by people who only tell you yes all the time, it's pretty yeah. easy to turn into a shit person. But I feel like the Saddles, I mean, they're not, they're semi-royalty, but like, uh, what the fuck is her name? Mist? What a fucking bitch. Their, I feel like their bitchiness has so much to do with how much they resent Orin, though. Like, they view Orin as, like, being put above them all the time, which has led to them resenting her and then that resentment has just turned into hatred yeah but i don't know i just feel like i am i maybe i can't understand it because i'm like not that type of person but like he literally would force her to watch them have sex like and you're telling me that that's not like a shitty situation for her like to be trapped in a gold cage and have to watch him fuck other people like it's definitely a case yeah it's definitely a case of like the grass isn't always greener on the other side where they have no idea the things that she's been through we do obviously since we're seeing her point of view but like to them she's living this like blessed easy life where she doesn't have to do anything and everything's provided for her and she's just sitting there like uh maybe don't judge me because you don't know what's going on in my life yeah so anyway (laughs) So throughout book two, we really get to know um, all of these figures in Fourth's army. We get to see Rip and Orin getting closer to one another. They share a lot of moments where it's obvious that there's some tension. There's a lot of tension. It's obvious that they're connecting. Um, It becomes clear that they are both uh, Fae, that they both have Fae ancestry. and they start to connect over that as well. And on top of that, Oren is building connections with Lou and Osric and Judd. Uh, this leads to a lot of funny moments because Lou and Judd especially are hilarious. <laughs> um, Lou and Judd have an ongoing feud where there's one barrel of wine that is seen as the good barrel. And they both get Oren to help them steal it from either side of camp so that they can bring it back to their side. And it's just very cute. Like there's a lot of cute moments like that throughout book two. Just like cute shit that you would do with your friends, like just cute, funny things. And I, I loved that. Lou is just such a cool character. She's such a badass. Um, so at the end of book two, we see Fourth's army arriving at Fifth Kingdom, and we see Rip present Oren with this opportunity to stay with them. And he's saying, like, I'm giving you a choice. I want you to do what's best for you. And she, at this point, has a lot of struggling with the fact that she feels as though she still owes Midas um, for saving her. And because she has that idea of like guilt and ownership she tells him that she has to go back to Midas and that like breaks something between them to the point where to the point where it's obvious that Rip was hoping that she would choose to stay with them and with her making not making that choice that he wanted he feels betrayed by her yeah and this I mean I knew that she wasn't going to choose to stay but like I was still very devastated (laughs) Um, but with her not choosing to stay, King Ravenger makes a big show of his power outside of Fifth Kingdom where he, like, rots 
like the surrounding area by like a mile and basically is like you're either gonna talk to me and give me a lot of my demands or my army is going to attack fifth kingdom so midas agrees to have an audience with him and they negotiate Orin's return and with Orin returning she immediately finds herself back in the cage and we see Midas expecting everything to go back to exactly the way it was and Orin immediately becoming frustrated and realizing that he's not the person that she had brought him up to be in her mind. Yeah, and she's had this taste of freedom now. I mean, you know, she's been with the, I guess, with the enemy, but, like, she's been able to kind of do her own thing, and then there she is, back in the cage. Well, locked back up in the castle. I think book two is Orin's biggest growth in terms of, like, her confidence. Um, But she starts, like, rebelling immediately. She rips off the door to her cage and is in the middle of, like, trying to get free when, wouldn't you know it, (laughs) Rip comes strolling through the door and is like, hey, we're going to be hanging out here for a while because we're now allies. And, (laughs) And she's like, what the fuck? Um, and then he reveals himself to be not only Commander Rip, but also King Slade Ravenger, <gasps> dun, dun, King dun. of Fourth Kingdom. <laughs> and the ending of this book, because book three wasn't out yet when I read book two, the ending of this book had me like, what the fuck? And I texted Sam when I got to this part, and I was like, they're the same person! <laughs> but uh, yeah. I- like shook i was so excited i love rip so much throughout this whole series but in particular this book watching him like give Orin the chance to explore her freedom and develop her own self as a person uh i wrote in the notes we love rip a feminist king true (laughs) true king of feminism he's gonna give he's gonna give rizan to run for his money (laughs) He, He's like, gives her choices, and, like, Lou and women are welcome to be, like, part of the military, and, like, oh, he's just so fucking cool. The recent of Valerius, though, is my, my number one, <laughs> number one bae. <laughs> <laughs> number one fae daddy. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the multiple POVs, though, in this series started to remind me of, like, Game of Thrones when I was going through, like reading this and that really becomes true in the third book as well where we get even more point of views because um, Slade's point of view gets added in there and we get Midas and Orin and Melina and we're really seeing like what's going on all around uh, not only Fifth Kingdom but Sixth Kingdom as well and getting all of those point of views started to remind me what it was like reading especially like the fifth book of the game of thrones series well i should say really a uh, song of ice and fire um where you're constantly switching between kingdoms uh and trying to like keep track of everything that's going on but i love multi povs it's just uh it's the best way to read i love getting inside the character's head i agree slayed ah so so, so good the third book is my absolute favorite so far in the series. Like, I cannot even express to you how much I loved the third book. I could honestly reread probably just the third book and, like, ha- oh, I happily have. reread it. I- I've reread it, like, twice already. Um, so 
throughout the third book, Orin is back with Midas in the castle in Fifth Kingdom. Uh, but nothing is really going as she wanted. He keeps limiting her freedom more and more. And it just leads to her getting more and more upset and him getting angrier that he's not getting his way. Um, he keeps trying to lock her away. She keeps sneaking out. Um, and this keeps escalating to a breaking point with them. And it becomes clear to her that Midas isn't the person that she thought he was. And she decides that she's going to escape and that she's going to run away. Um, but as I was going to add that there's also some other like side plot type of things that are going on during all of this. Like um, the like the fact that Mist is pregnant with Midas's baby and how pretty much like devastating that was to Aaron because like she had, you know, she used to be in love with this man at one point. I mean, and she kind of thought that that would be like. I mean, she knew it would never be a thing for her. But, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I honestly... Am I making sense? I don't think she was as devastated by that as she was by, like, Mist not realizing what a dangerous position that put her in and then Mist refusing to listen to her. Well, like, I think she... initially it was upsetting for her. But then, like, when she finds out what his plans are, I mean... Yeah. So the queen of the third kingdom comes to visit them um, and her power is that she's able to um, bring she has like full control over sound and people's voices basically so she can like eavesdrop on conversations that are happening like really far away she can silence people so that they can't talk anymore Um, she can imitate voices like she has full control over that Um, so this she her and Midas start colluding together Um, And they are coming to all of these conclusions about how they can consolidate power and basically, through their scheming, take over uh, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth kingdoms together. So they would have, like, over half of the kingdom under their control. Um, And this whole basic mess comes down to the fact that they are going to murder the little prince boy of fifth kingdom he's a real asshole so like no he is <laughs> um but then in addition to murdering him they're going to pin his murder on king ravenger Slade. um and midas throughout all of this is also trying to control Orin so that Orin can keep up this ruse of him having this power um and it all kind of just comes to a head when she is like I'm leaving I don't want to do this anymore and he imprisons her and tortures her and it's just just this awful awful um, experience that she goes through and I cry every single time I reread it yeah there's a lot of really bad things going on like with the what is it the do is that what it's called oh yeah so there's a drug in fifth kingdom called do which is basically I guess I would equate it to, like, ecstasy. Um, yeah. Like, a combination of ecstasy and heroin, where, it, like, it, you want to be touched. So, like, yeah. they keep giving it to the saddles. Uh, you just want to have sex forever. <laughs> yeah, you want to have sex all the time, which is, like, the ecstasy part. But then, also, like, it makes you very tired. It keeps you out of your brain, which is what I would equate it to, like, the heroin part of it. Where, makes you compliant, I guess, yeah. for most people. 
So Midas force feeds Dew to Orin to like make her compliant after he tortures her. Uh, but with her fey blood, she's able to, in metabolism, she's able to like burn through it quickly and come back to herself. Um, but the whole, the whole scene is awful. Yeah, that, uh, ugh. that scene was like rough. <laughs> and what, what other things did I want to talk about that was going on at that time? Like the do, um, she's like trying to help Rissa and, uh, like Rissa wants to take Polly with her, and like but Polly's I don't know. addicted to mint. Uh, not mist. Like. A do addict. <laughs> yeah, Polly's addicted to do. So she's the like ribbons. completely out of her brain. The ribbons. That's yeah, so what I wanted to talk about. D- during the torture session, Midas cuts off her ribbons, which are like a part of her body, and that was so gruesome. And it wasn't just, like, one or two either, because I was like, oh, like, they're, they're just gonna, hold he's not gonna do all of them, but he does. He does. And it's just like, oh. And I, I don't know if we talked about it before, but, like, her ribbons are very reactive to Slade and, like, very, like, flirtatious and playful with him. Mm-hmm. So it just it made me, like, real sad. But throughout the third book, uh, Orin and Slade are really growing closer like he cu- keeps coming upon her in the castle and they have a lot of moments where they're connecting and she's like revealing to him that like yes she chose Midas at first but now she's choosing herself which I think was such a big moment in this series um, and they start to like come to this understanding that they mean a lot to one another and as they're growing closer it becomes apparent that she doesn't just want to escape. She wants to leave with Slade. Um, So all of that, like, conniving is going on. But while all that is happening, Midas reveals to Orin that he has Digby locked in the dungeon and that Digby's been there this whole time. Um, And so he starts using Digby to control Orin when she starts fighting back. with his manipulation... So Orin feels like she can't leave while Digby's in the dungeon. So, like, there goes her initial plan for just running away. So then her and Slade start working together to try and figure out how they're going to free Digby. But then this kind of all just comes to a head when Midas takes Orin as captive and then they kill the Prince of Fifth Kingdom and then the ending of the book. Like, everything happens all at once for like the last 20% of the book like it's all happening within hours and it's it's a whirlwind yeah there's a a lot of action going on in that last part of the book there and we probably should mention that her and Slade do fuck so that was so good (laughs) it was good I'm like we haven't said anything about that and I feel like our podcast relies heavily on uh sex scenes (laughs) but this is our first like male female fantasy type book that we're featuring but just to let you know there is a good sex scene in it so this series is a slow burn um, yes. but you do get finally Slade and Oren in book three it's like a three chapter sex scene and it takes place over both Oren and Slade's point of view and it's so good oh it's so so good <laughs> If we're kind of oh jumping around all over the place with this third book here, but I felt um, like that's like what happened in the third book. Yeah, there was a lot of jumping around. Um, but basically, final thoughts on book three. 
absolute favorite of the series so far. I don't know how many books she plans on having in the series. I think I've heard like five or six, but I don't know that for sure. Oh, really? Because I was like, oh, this fourth book is going to be it. But I, I mean, know. I guess it would kind of make sense that you can't really wrap up all of that. I mean, oh, shit. We should also, like, shouldn't we talk about what happens with Auron and her power and, like, before our, we say our final thoughts on what happened? Or should we leave some of this up to, hey, you should read these fucking books? Oh, I was going to leave that up to them reading about it. Oh, yeah. It. So read these. <laughs> read these. <laughs> We're very professional this evening. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> um, but read the books then. Yes. Sorry I spoiled the sex scene for you. Oh, it's fine. I think I think you were right. I think we needed to talk about that just for the sake of our podcast. Um but speaking of the sex scene, the the whole idea is that Oren's powers only work when like the sun is out. So she couldn't touch Slade until like the sun goes down and it like creates this like anticipation and like build up as they get closer. And then like when the sun finally sets, it's like they're on top of one another. And it's so like, it's so good. It was so good. And I wonder like, is this going to be a thing for forever? Because could you imagine not being able to touch your partner when the sun is up like all the time? Well, I mean, Slade mentions the fact that she doesn't have a lot of control over her powers. So I'm ah. wondering if if she spends more time with Slade and they're able to teach her how to control it, that she will be able to control it to the point where she can touch him during the daytime. They'll never get to have a nooner. <laughs> I've been singing Afternoon Delight all day. Oh, Just... my God. <laughs> All right. Yes. Final thoughts on the series. Uh, third book left me with a goddamn book hangover. Like, I couldn't read anything for, like, three days afterwards. I am so ready for book four. I can't believe I have to wait, like, a whole year. I'm praying that Raven moves up the publishing date so we don't have to wait that long, even though, like, obviously... She's got a lot going on. I can't be that impatient, but at the same time, I'm like, please, Raven, I am that impatient. <laughs> and I loved this series. I'm so glad that Sam was like, hey, like, read this, because once <laughs> I started reading it, I pretty much inhaled, like, the three books that are out so far, which, you know, this is also why it's good to maybe let a few books in a series come out before you get invested in it. But I still haven't learned that lesson. Uh, it's the worst. That's me with like Viking Omega Verse right now. Oh my gosh. So, <sighs> so yeah, moral of the story, read the series. Although if you wanna wait until it's completed, I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, but just know that like if you decide you're gonna have to read like five books because you're just gonna be heavily invested. <laughs> It's going to take some time away from you. Even though the sex scene isn't until the third book, I was heavily invested. We love a slow burn. All right. Let's jump into what we're reading this week. So this week I read the last book in the Hemlock Academy series. Sam just her, read everything. Uh, her harem in that series is so goddamn big. I can't keep <laughs> everyone straight. Listen, 11 men in a harem is just too much. Like, it's Oh my it's god. That's like Game of Thrones spreadsheet shit. <laughs> it is. And I was telling Sarah 
that like three of them have names that start with P. So I was like, I can't keep all of these names straight. It's too much. Um, I mean, it was a fine ending to the series. I enjoyed it. I also read Pack Darling by Lola Rock, and I cannot stress enough how amazing this book was. Uh, I've reread the ending at least three times, and I cry every single time. It. I cannot wait for the second book to come out. Like, I feel, I felt so much reading it. Like, it was a very emotional book. Um, I also read The Beautifully Cruel Duet by J.T. Geisinger. Um, Sarah recommended it to me because, like, after Pack Darling, I was in such a slump. And I, like, needed to get out of the slump. And I was like, I need a good mafia read. Which, of course, I just asked Sarah because she's our mafia queen. Um, she was like, read these two Irish mafia novels. I really enjoyed them. Um, then we did a group read of Stalked by the Kraken by Lillian Lark. All I'm going to say is tentacles, y'all. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, after Stalked by the Kraken, I also read uh, two of the Raw Family books by Bell Aurora. Um, they, I guess you would call those mafia novels as well. They're, they're like pseudo-mafia novels, I guess. Um they were fine. I was annoyed with the way book one ended and I yelled at Sarah about it. Um, then the second book I read was actually book three. I skipped over book two because I just <laughs> wanted to see how the story ended. <laughs> um, well, I feel like that's not good if you're like, ah, the first book was okay. And then I skipped the second book and I was like, <laughs> ah, I'm just going to read the third book to see how this wraps up. I just needed to know. Uh, that might have been more about my impatience than the quality of the books. Um, then I was so excited because the third Queen Crow book came out this week. Um, I devoured it in one day. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm obsessed with Jay Bree. Um, it was so great to see more of Lips and the Guys. I am so excited for the Vanth Falling series that she announced recently. At this point, Jay Bree is a one-click author for me. I will read anything that she puts out. It's all amazing. And then Ashley was so excited because I finally started reading the Viking Omegaverse that she has been talking about for weeks. Um, that's by Lix Robinson. It has been so good so far. I'm fully invested. We're absolutely going to do an episode on it with Lix. Um, I'm over halfway done book two. I think I'm at like 75% right now. I have a feeling I'll finish it tonight. It's been amazing. Yes, and uh, just, like, we were talking, too, about some of, the, like, the historical aspects and, like, just the work that Lix has put into that series is, like, it's very impressive. I m immediately was making, like, so I've been to Dublin. I did a whole trip where I did Ireland, Wales, England, and then I went over to Paris for the last leg of the trip. Um, but while, while I was in Dublin, we went to the Dublin, uh, archeological museum, which was probably my favorite part of that section of the trip. And they have like the bog bodies that they found preserved in the bogs that were like, um, used as human sacrifices. So like that section where she talks about that, like that's all rooted in like actual Celtic rituals that happened in the past. So I was very interested. Like, I want to talk with Lix about, like the mythology that she dug into here and like all that kind of stuff. But I also love like how she's interwoven, like real historical events from uh, Celtic and Norse history. And I mean, who doesn't love a fucking Omegaverse? <laughs> Just throw it all into Omegaverse. Why not? 
Um, this week, I'll be honest, I definitely don't read as fast or as much as Sam. Um, so I did our group read of Stalk by the Kraken by Lillian Lark, and Gideon was just so freaking adorable, and I had feelings about tentacles that, like, I didn't think were possible, (laughs) and this all, like, stemmed from a Lady of Brooksgrave Manor, like, that, when that, like, Akikamori scene, I think that's how you say it, I don't know, um, I used to listen to this band, Elite Gymnastics, and they have, like, a song that's, like, very similar to that name. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so that kind of, like, sent me on a weird alien monster spiral. So I've been reading and obsessing about Heather Relkin's books. Um, she was recommended to us by Willow Hadley, like, when we started our whole um, Alien Smut Summer 2021, and we were talking about Ice Planet Barbarians. Um but they know each other from Wattpad, like, back in the day. And, oh, my God, these alien stories, like, I I have been obsessed. I read Stowaway, which I loved, but New Horizons, it's, like, these lizard aliens and there's this plot twist. But aliens that want to please Earth women seem like the best lovers to, like, ever exist. Like, <laughs> if I were to be abducted, I hope it's by aliens that are like this. And I 100% that aliens have to be a thing because, like, there's no way that we're the only intelligent life out there. But anyway, this isn't fucking Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, <laughs> I so... certainly fucking hope not. <laughs> gonna keep my ancient alien thoughts to myself (laughs) um so i'm currently reading her book unyielding autumn um and all of these alien and monster books are in preparation for a special episode where sarah and i are gonna record while sam is on vacation so sam is gonna be away from the internet which like oh my god i don't even know how i would survive sam (laughs) Um, so there will be no new episode next week, but Sarah and I are going to record an episode the following week, and assuming that all goes well with my editing skills, <laughs> I'm sure it's not going to be as polished as what Sam puts out, but we'll still have content for you guys. Um, and then we're going to take one... Wait. So then we'll be back the following week, right, Sam? Yeah, so next week, no new episode. Uh, then Sarah and Ashley were kind enough to offer to record and edit while I was away the following week, and then I will be back the week after that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be without internet in a cabin up in the middle of Maine, um, and Sarah and Ashley are going to pick up my slack, which I greatly appreciate because... Oh my god, shut up. God, do I need a week away. But um, if you have any good alien or monster wrecks that you have that you'd like us to discuss, please send them to Sarah and I. We were planning on uh, reading I Married a Lizard Man, which I'm super excited about. <laughs> so if you have anything weird that you want us, and I think that there was another one, that, another tentacle one where there's like talks of like an ovipositor but i'm i don't know how i feel about that that might be like too much for me (laughs) but if you if you have anything weird sarah and i are pretty open people so there there are no limits anymore especially where sarah's concerned (laughs) yeah sarah's probably way more open than i am but 
I don't know. Those that lizard romance the other day had me feeling things I haven't felt <laughs> more so than tentacles. I think. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Smut and Spice. Please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Smut and Spice Pod. We'd love it if you would share our podcast with friends and on social media. If you have any book recommendations, send them our way. And if you're an author who's interested in appearing on an episode, reach out. We would love to have you. A special thanks to our technical producer, Andrew, and to our graphic designer, Lainey, for our amazing logo. The intro and outro music featured on Smut and Spice is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. The link and licensing information can be found in the episode description. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.